0: It's a product, but it's an emotional product. It's an experiential product. You know, I'm selling experiences, I'm selling emotions to people, and I love it. Six months later, you could be watching it on Netflix or Hulu or whatever and be like, wait, I was in the audience that night. I had no idea this was what was going on. Not only does everyone performing have a story, but everyone going to that show has a story.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast, sponsored by Harlequin Floors, the world leader in floors, stage systems, and studio equipment for the performing arts. Our podcast puts the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world, the culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Anna Robb. Today, we're talking with Andy Levy on marketing and social media for the arts. Andy Levy is a high-performing and dynamic C-suite leader specializing in business and brand leadership for the digital age. Over the last two decades, he's been at the forefront of initiatives that connect consumers in a rapidly evolving and increasingly segmented market, developing and implementing competitive, Data driven business and portfolio strategies, and executing programs with precision to expand market presence and target audiences. He's particularly proud of the following successes Clio Award winner in 2021 with Two Bit Circus, named to Fast Company's most innovative companies in 2020 with Two Bit Circus again, helped relaunch the Sesame Street brand in the Middle East. Built a marketing team and successfully launched Lapelle by Dragone in Dubai. Increased sales and established KPIs, ROIs and social media advertising channel sales with Cirque du Soleil in Las Vegas and Montreal. Advocated for a successful multi-year content plan, initiating digital programming, media strategy and distribution with the Cirque du Soleil marketing team. He holds an MBA in marketing and an MS in hospitality. What's an MS?
0: Masters of Science.
1: Oh, Master's of Science in Hospitality from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and a BS in Finance from Tulane University in New Orleans. You have lots of degrees. Thank you for joining us, Andy.
0: (laughs) Thanks for having me. Yeah, lots of degrees and I still can't figure out how to use certain technologies. So my wife reminds me of it all the time. (laughs) That's all good. It's all good.
1: So tell us what led you into this line of work and particularly into the marketing in the entertainment realm. I'm interested to know.
0: Yeah, uh, my background is in finance, and I spent the first three years of my career working in finance, in investment banking, and heavy-duty, complicated uh, analytics, and I hated it. It was miserable. It was it was soul-sucking, and I I came to the realization that this wasn't for me when I was working late on a Friday night in an empty office in an office park this empty office this gigantic office park working on an analysis of like some bajillion dollar deal that i had to find like some sliver of information in and i was talking to my brother and my brother at the time lived in las vegas he was going to school at unlv and uh, he was like hey what are you up to tonight and i was like i'm at work and it's like 11 o'clock and i was like what are you doing and he's like oh i'm going to a party with george clooney and like cindy crawford and like we're gonna do like go to this place and that place and i was just like oh man (laughs) well that sucks like how do i get that life (laughs) um and so i I decided to you know go back to school and mba for me was always in the in the plans um i think nowadays like you know for most you know corporate jobs they expect a, a graduate degree so that was you know something that i wanted to do and i decided i in college I actually promoted a lot of parties and I loved hosting parties and groups and doing that sort of thing at bars and, and nightclubs. And so I wanted to get back into that. And, and I wanted to understand more about like the restaurant business and the hotel business. And so Las Vegas was just the spot, you know, it's the epicenter of all entertainment, hospitality, hotels, and restaurants. And so, yeah, I worked my way up, you know, or it worked and, and saved enough money to to move out to Las Vegas and, you know, Took all the tests that you had to take to get into grad school and and just it was an area like I, I had no experience in that. So to go to UNLV and learn from all these experts who, you know, there were experts in food temperature, there is experts in room service and like flipping rooms and, and housekeeping and all this stuff that you're like. As, you know, I think people who, you know, listen to the podcast, you know, have experience in this industry, but like for people who don't, like there's a whole science behind like all of this stuff and it's crazy. And so to learn that was a lot of fun. And then as a a side gig, obviously, like I was a a full-time student, but I needed to make money. I started working as a nightclub VIP host and promoter for Pure Nightclub, um, which was like one of the hot nightclubs back in the early 2000s. And I just... I worked my way up there because a lot of the stuff was old school Vegas in that, like, there was no—it was just all cash money and no like forecasting and analysis. And I started to apply some formulas and and things that I I developed um, when I was learning finance. And and yeah, I worked my way up, became a director of marketing inside the nightclub industry, and then you know basically I got old for nightclub standards and and got married and turned 30 and that's like the retirement age unless you like want to keep going until like <laughs> be like that that weird looking dude standing in the corner who's all gray um <laughs> and then I, I i had the opportunity to go work for Cirque du Soleil in, in Vegas and it was one of those things where my wife and i my wife is uh is a performer or was a performer as well um and she was in Mamma Mia in Las Vegas And so she and I were, we were at the point, you know, where we're like, we love Vegas, but it's not the end all be all for us at the moment. And we want, we want to leave, but we don't know how. And the opportunity for Cirque, you know, came about and it was, it was exciting. And it was one of those things where we, we, you know, both, you know, thought, okay, this is our springboard to other things. It's a global brand. It can lead to other things, whether it's with Cirque or, you know, whether it's, Um, somewhere else in the world New York LA whatever and it was great I mean it was it was fun and I came aboard Cirque and just you know moved my way up and you know just discovered that it was a an amazingly artistic company with not a lot of you know structure and investment in non at that time non-traditional marketing which was more digital and and web-based and and social and all these other platforms. And that's something that I really relied upon heavily in my nightclub background was like, these are the MySpace days and the advent of Facebook where, you know, you could reach out to people one-to-one and really have a relationship with them as opposed to just like putting a billboard up on a street and expecting people to show up. So, yeah, I mean, for me, I I think my, my favorite thing. And and so, yeah, Cirque took me all around uh, was Vegas, Montreal, and then I, I left Cirque to go work for Franco Dragone uh, in Dubai, launched La Pearl, and was there for three years, and then moved back to L.A., and, and I'm at Two-Bit Circus now. And Two-Bit Circus, we we joke internally that it's my third circus, which it is, but it's not, you know, your traditional performing arts circus. We're a, a micro amusement park, and and the that's a self-coined term, but the the premise for that is, you know, Think of like a microbrewery and an amusement park combined. We're a 40,000 square foot futuristic arcade in downtown LA. Uh, We make about 70% of the games in-house. So we've got arcade games, midway games, which are our version of, you know, your classic carnival games, uh, VR, and then story rooms, which are our version of escape rooms. They're 18 to 30 minute narrative rooms where you and four to six other players work together to complete a mission or solve a problem. And so coming back to, to answer your question, I mean, my favorite thing about being in this industry, about being in entertainment, live entertainment is it's a product, but it's an emotional product, you know, and it's an experiential product. You're, you're, you know, I'm selling experiences. I'm selling emotions to people. And I love it because like, there's always going to be, The first time, you know, the first time you go on a date, you know, for a Cirque show or the first time you brought your kid to an arcade or you remember when you brought your grandma to O or whatever. And you remember those things like those those stay with you for a long time. Like I remember 1993 and I'm not going to age myself, but like 1993, I got to see Mystere like a month after it opened and I was just blown away. Uh, Of how cool it was, and then, you know, to sit there in you know 2016 next to Franco Dragone working on this show, and you know Franco's obviously you know a madman and crazy, and like talks and like all these cooking analogies as as you know, and but just to sit next to him and be like, oh wait, like kid version of me was like, wow, this is really cool, and now like here adult version of me sitting next to this guy who created all this stuff, and like I get to work with him, and yeah, it's it's just fun
1: yeah yeah it's, in, it's interesting because I think like I think like the arts as well, marketing, you must have seen a massive change since you you know did your degree from all the social medias and like you said, the way things are marketed and the way things are promoted and it's a constant it's not like you can do a degree and not, now I know how to do it. It must be a constantly learning process. And how do you approach that from a marketing point of view in terms of okay? where do you go is it trial and error is it you looking for trends do you do research in terms of the way that you might promote stuff
0: yeah i mean it's it's all of it to be honest and it's it's overwhelming and intimidating you know i i i think the the thing is you you have to know that it's going to evolve and you have to you have to be willing to evolve with it and you know as as a marketer who is either an employee or working for a corporate corporation or a freelancer or contract, whatever, like you have to know that, like, whatever you're working on now, or whatever you propose to a client or, or your boss or whomever, like six months from now, that's going to change the way these systems work. Facebook is mercurial and, and, Ten years ago, everyone's like Facebook, Facebook, and now everyone's like, "Screw Facebook! I don't want to be on it." You know, it's a necessary evil, and now people are like, "Oh, we gotta, we gotta have a TikTok strategy. We gotta do more on TikTok." It's, it's just, it is an explosion, and, and the ebbs and flows of information are just vast and, and super fast, and and depending on what kind of product or project you're working on, like you're. Your brand could be killed in thirty seconds, whether or not you know it. Or your brand could become a rock star because, like, one person had a great experience, or one person had a terrible experience, or someone did a TikTok in the bathroom and now it went viral, and you have to answer for that. So I I think, you know, the the biggest thing when you talk about like all this evolution is that you know just always keep your ears to the ground, always just keep reading. Twitter for me is like a great channel not necessarily to to go and promote things but really to engage and listen in communities and, and understand what's going on in in the various industries depending on what industry you're you're looking for and, and so it's a great discovery to find you know what's working and just you know experiment on these platforms if there's something new go out and test it does it fit for your brand does it work for what you're trying to do you know, I'll, I'll talk about TikTok a lot. You know, through through our conversation today, but that is just an explosive platform. And I know it's been banned in certain countries, and there's controversy a, about it. And I think, I think no matter what, whatever the next social media platform is, is there will always be controversy associated with it, just from data collection and listening and and content sharing and things like that. But you know, there's so many threads, especially in like the performing arts and the arts world like the way like arts museums have gotten into tiktok and and made it accessible for people who aren't going to be able to go to that museum or or explaining things that you didn't know and you have this whole generation now and this is what you know as a marketer i'm starting to see and i feel truly old is that you have this whole generation of people working in marketing who grew up in social media whereas for me like i was a the beginning of like the MySpaces and the Facebooks. You know, I was in my twenties and my thirties, and and now you have people who are in their twenties and thirties who have only known a world with social media. Um, so that to them is the barometer and how they speak. And honestly, it scares me because like I don't get any of it, <laughs> and so I feel old. But you know, I spend a lot of time looking through these things and trying to understand what what makes people tick.
1: Well, that's important thing because I think you know, like you said it's those are tools to communicate, but you still gotta understand your audience, right? And that's the core of what marketing might be, right?
0: Yeah, I I think, you know, everyone everyone says, oh, marketing's easy, I know how to market, or like, yeah, we'll just, you know, we'll we'll have marketing do this. And it's just like, okay, okay, that could happen, but really it's, you know, who is your audience? What do they what will they engage with? What will resonate with them? You know, and if you don't have that audience, how do you go out and attract that audience? How do you figure out what that audience will be? And and you know, it's it's the stereotype of like, okay, we want this to go viral. Like, well, how how will that go viral? Do you have budget to put behind it? How like, what is the plan? And know that that's not a guarantee. Viral
1: is not a necessarily a controllable factor, is it?
0: <laughs> no, I mean the the stupidest crap goes viral, and it's like. It's more about like, can you jump on it from a a trend perspective and does it fit with your brand or like, do you just sit this one out? Because like no one wants to hear what a Band Aid brand thinks of, you know, a TikTok dance. I I think, you know, when it comes to to arts um, and entertainment in, in general, it really depends on, you know, what you're trying to do. I mean, at the end of the day for, for arts and entertainment, I mean, you know the the producer or the corporate side, they want ticket sales, right? So no matter what you do as a marketer, they're gonna ask you how does that translate to ticket sales? And I used to be someone who was passionate about like, no, we need to do the creative. And then I was like, no, we have to like show what that creative translates into, you know, ticket sales from their revenue. But yeah, I mean I, I think that's a thing to to really think about as a marketer is like, okay, like what will you know us jumping on this TikTok dance trend do for us as the brand, for us as the show, or for us as the exhibit. I think, you know, the platforms, the way they've evolved have been incredible because, you know, they used to just be static images, and now there's so much more, you know, visual video, and and there's some amazing, just amazing content creators out there who are making great stuff as well. And I I also think the challenge is there's this weird tension between. You know, the the shows that we've worked on, these are 60, 90 minute, two hour shows. Well, the average consumer now is spending that time, you know, times three on on social media. You know, they're they're spent TikTok has surpassed Google for you know most visited website and and length of stay. And so, like, how do you compete against a fifteen to thirty second video? You know, how do you compete against that? when someone can watch like 20 of those and say, Hey, like come see our show. And so I think that's also a a challenge as well, that, you know, not just a marketer faces, but, you know, a producer, uh, a creator faces, you know, when it comes to performing arts is that how is your show something so over the top and so different that someone's actually, especially in the the pandemic era we're living in that someone's going to leave their house and put pants on and, and, and go and see. I think that's a a big challenge.
1: Yeah, I think so too and I think the way that I see it that our uh, the entertainment industry has to adapt to that attention space because we get Netflix on demand, we get Spotify, we get music on demand and and when we're asking people to set aside a time and a place to be, that's not the way people are consuming what we would what the in the broader sense of entertainment. So where does that leave live performance and what and that's why I think one of those things in Vegas, Meow Wolf. You've heard of that? It's quite a a popular thing because you can go and spend. You can choose to go and go when you want to go, rather than turning up at a particular time. And that's fascinating for me because I think that's the live entertainment realm really has to evolve into that mentality. And I don't actually know what that looks like, but
0: <laughs> I mean, if someone knows what it looks like, they're going to make a lot of money because I think you know our our, our prior. Em- employers are, are too too big to move that fast i mean that's a, a a glacial shift for them to make that change you know we we see it all the time we are we are not appointment experience at two-bit circus i mean you have to make a reservation to come but like you come and you can do whatever you want like it's your time spend spend 15 minutes there spend three hours there you know you can do various things. Um, and Meow Wolf is similar, like you want, like, and they're, and they're different things. I think that's the other thing too, is that the name for all this, you know, loca- LBE location based entertainment is like, you go to a spot and you have multiple things that you can choose from rather than one. And and so I think, you know, whoever where whether it's Vegas, Macau, Dubai, or whatever, whoever figures out, you know, some sort of, I don't want to call it like a smorgasbord, but like some sort of like Thing where you can go experience performances in a meaningful way that's not horrifically terrible from an artistic perspective. I think someone, you know, will make a lot of money that way. Uh, but I, I think, you know, also things like, you know, the Sleep No More's of the world, Secret Cinema has done a very good job. Like that whole, like, I think that's the the also the level that, you know, we're building towards with these live experiences is like, you know, the generation that is, Aging into that, you know, 35 to 50 year old, you know, core demographic for a lot of these things, like, they're going to go like, they want to wear the costume, they want to they want to know more about, you know, the characters that they're going to see or who they're interacting with. So, yeah, I, I think it's, I think there's going to be a, a big change in those things. And, and I, I think more people want to be active players rather than passive players sitting in the audience as well.
1: Yeah, no, it's super interesting. And now a moment for our sponsor. The Theatre Art Life podcast is proud to be sponsored by Harlequin. Harlequin is the world leader in floors, stage systems and studio equipment for the performing arts. Established in the UK over 40 years ago, Harlequin is the preferred performance floor for the world's most prestigious dance and performing arts companies, theatres and schools, from the Royal Opera House to the Bolshoi Theatre, the New York City Ballet to the Royal New Zealand Ballet. Harlequin's experience and reputation are founded on the development, manufacture, and supply of a range of high-quality sprung and vinyl floors specifically designed for dance and the performing arts. Backed by an engineering team and independent research, Harlequin also designs, builds, and refurbishes stages, working with stage engineers and theatre consultants in leading venues across the world. Harlequin is the global leader in its field, with offices in Europe, the Americas, and Asia-Pacific. Find out more at harlequinfloors.com, H-A-R-L-E-Q-U-I-N floors.com. In your opinion, how important is it when you're setting up a with an arts organisation or a show is to set up a brand in terms of ethos and language and visual style, like in all of the way that, you know, this stuff is evolving, how, do, how does an arts organisation sort of stand out and, and how much does sort of brand identity play into that?
0: Well, I mean, it's it's who you are, right? It is your beacon to to the world, or the community, or to wherever you're you're speaking to. That this is who you are. So, I think it's extremely important. It's important because people are going to make a decision to go to your exhibit, show, what, whatever it is, parade, you know, based on that. So, it's extremely important. It's like, you know, what is. I I think there's a lot of questions that you have to to ask is, you know, what do you want your, I don't want to call it consumer because we don't know if they're paid or not, but like, what do you, what do we want your guest to experience? How do you convey that to the guest and and how do you convey that? And I think this is something that a, a lot of arts organizations don't think about, or it's an afterthought is that, okay, fine. Like from your perspective, the, the operator or creator's perspective, the experience begins you know, when the person walks on site, but like, really like the brand is the first, whether it's a tweet, an email, uh, tick whatever it is like, that's, that's the first experience that a person ha- has with the brand. And so how does that promise and that messaging carry forward, you know, across all forms of communication and, and from the initial kind of blind date of it all, where you're a consumer and you're like, Oh, my friend went to that thing. I want to find out more. Let me go to their website. I, you know, I think it's, it's, it's crucial. There's also two schools of thought is that like, you want it to be as cryptic and secretive as possible, which is fine. And you can rely on word of mouth, but like, then how do you augment that with the word of mouth? And what are you doing to the consumers to give them those nuggets that they can then go off and share? Or then there's the big, you know, over the top, like how do we make a splash and really show people that we're here? It's tough, you know, you and I've worked on a lot of these crazy shows and you get to like this bajillion dollar production production of a show and, and then you're like, cool, what's the marketing budget? Like, oh we don't we don't have anything. Like people are just gonna come. They're like, wait, wait, it it doesn't work like that. Or or you know, there's also sm- smaller organizations as well. It's just like, hey, like, you know, we don't have a lot of budget. Like how can we do this? And and I think it's important to show, you know, what your brand stands for, who you are, because that way you can also you know, I I joke, but like get scrappy and beg, borrow and steal and, and go to other people and be like, Hey, this is who we are. This is what we believe in. This is what our experience is. We'd love to partner with you. We don't have money. We'll give you tickets or we don't have money. What can we, what, what, how can we work together? And some people are going to slam the door and, you know, hang up the phone and other people will be like, cool, let's do something. Let's figure this out. So I, I think it's important. Like, you know, you're, you're always pitching And so you want it to be something where people understand from that pitch, you know, whether it's you as the business development person or you selling a a ticket to that person to come in.
1: Yeah, and I remember when, I think that's another way that the nature of it has changed. Even, you know, when we, years ago when we opened up the Beatles show in Vegas, Love not no photos could be taken nothing could be released no music no teasers. nothing nothing was allowed out and it was huge security in that and yet now like you said those teasers and those behind the scenes and those backdoor sort of exposures can be a way that people want to come to see a show and I, I think it's also an easy way for me you know who we make a lot of content for Theatre Art Life it's an easy way to get visibility for a much lower budget or a lower lower scale arts organization is to create that sort of behind the scenes content without a huge marketing budget,
0: right? A hundred percent. I mean, one of the things that really inspired me was The Fire Within, Verakai, the documentary. Did you ever see that? Mm. Yeah, I love so it. So good, so good. And I wish, like, I, like, I'm sure Cirque is working on it, but it's something... Canada based you know but like it like I, have you watched um Formula 1 Drive to Survive on Netflix no. have you seen that No That has done so much for the sport of Formula 1 across the world and obviously Formula 1 has a gigantic budget and so does Netflix so that that analogy doesn't apply here but you've gotten this behind the scenes of F1 and it's so cool and it's it's made a huge impact in the states where F1 wasn't very visible or very big before to the point where they're now expanding they're opening up they're doing a track in miami they're in talks possibly to do something in vegas and and things like that and it's you know the the drivers have become stars in the u.s which is very rare for a non you know football baseball you know type of country and so to me like i wish cirque would go back and do another type of show like that because like working behind the scenes you know there's so much drama there's so much tension there's so much good stuff and i think people think oh we can't let this get out and yes there's some stuff legally and you know from a show perspective you don't want to get out but like there's so much because like it adds to such a great story and going back to your point like it's happening. It's happening. And if you don't record it, you will never be able to capture that again. And if you want to capture it again, it's going to be super expensive to, to frame it. And it's going to be staged. Um, one of the things that we started to do um, when I moved to the team at Cirque in Montreal was, you know, we embedded content creators within the this, this show just to go around and capture stuff and document it. And everyone's like, oh, like there's going to be so much, you know, footage, you know, what do we do with it? And it's like, I don't care. Like the worst thing that happens is we don't capture it and we, we have to go back or we got to fly someone to this city to go and film it. It's like, it's right here. It's cheap. It's easy. You know, we'll make something out of it and it'll be cool. Um, and we did the same thing in Dubai and like, it, it just, it, there's so many great stories that are being told. And I think that's the other thing too, is like, when you're in it and you're in that world and you're dealing with, you know, the deadlines and the stress of all that stuff, you're so close to it that you don't think like, oh, man, this would make a great TV show or, oh, this would be a, a good web series or, okay, you know what? We're going to release snippets of this on Instagram or, you know, what, we're going to have this guy take over Instagram live, you know, whatever. Yeah, I mean, that's a goldmine, just a it pure goldmine. mine. Mm.
1: Absolutely. No, and I I think, like you said, and that's something that 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 human interest of the actual process and that I just I think many years ago, there was a company in London that was interested in documenting the House of Dancing Water creation. And that would have been amazing, because not only have you got the creation of the show, but you've got culture shock, you've got all of these people going to Macau and dealing with all of that drama. And I mean, I I think even to the point of having been involved in that process, I wouldn't have wanted a camera on me during that thing but at the same time it would have been one of the most epic documentaries of how that show came together because of all of the, the, the intricacies of everybody's personal challenges of moving countries and creating a show and the stress of working 16 hours a day for six days a week for five months as we create the show and, yeah, I mean it was hectic and, and that's gold television.
0: You have the personalities. You like it it's it's such good TV. Like there are times, you know, working on these shows, I'm just like, this person would be so good on a TV show, <laughs> you know, it's because there's such a, like there's always like the gruff you know person, there's always the person who's the know-it-all, there's always the person who's crying, and you're just like the troublemaker
1: crying? artist, yeah, you know, the like- troublemaker <laughs>
0: artist, like or like oh tonight you know we're down we're down x amount of people and this system doesn't work and we're gonna have to do this like how do we make this work you know and like the audience doesn't know any different for the most part but like like you know six months later you could be watching it on netflix or hulu or whatever and be like wait i was in the audience that night i had no idea this was what was going on yeah i mean like that's the the behind the scenes stuff is just it's just gigantic. And it's such a, a huge opportunity. It just, yeah. I I mean, my advice is if you're working in some sort of arts organization and you're not capturing any of that, stop what you're doing now, go out and just invest in like a decent phone, at least with a a good video, you know, camera and things like that and make some, some really cool stuff. And, And that's the thing too, like the bar to entry has just, just lowered substantially to when I since when I started and just you know like
1: oh it's so accessible right like yeah it's cheaper it's super cheap I mean even and like you're going back to the emotional part too like I remember there was one day we got a letter from it was to um Sergeant Pepper at the Beatles show and um knows. does and it was a really beautiful moment because at the end of the show, Sergeant Pepper goes out and he gives his a uh, rose to one of the audience members. Yeah. And, you know, he does this every day. He just picks somebody random, whatever like that. And it happened to be that the lady who wrote to him was, it was on Valentine's Day, and um, he'd given her the rose and she'd written to him. And basically his her husband had passed away like, maybe a month before that they were scheduled to see the show, right? But so she went anyway on Valentine's Day alone and he happened to give the rose to her. So it was a really emotional sort of moment when we received this letter because, you know, of all the 2,000 people you could give the rose to, he gave it to a widow on Valentine's Day who was there without her husband to see the show. And I just thought that was like those moments actually in theatre world happen quite often you know, that nobody in the public facings get get to see. But those moments are so beautiful and poignant, which, you know, documented would be amazing.
0: I mean, that's what I love about it is that, like, not only does everyone performing have a story, but everyone going to that show has a story, you know, and like, all right, some stories aren't worth telling. But like that whole story that you just told, that's that's amazing. You know, and like, yeah. look how long that's lasted with you, like as as a mark. You know, like those are the things that, like, I just love that. You know, and, and like, I think that's a thing too. Is that that is a marketing tool, and, and I think people mm. don't realize that is that is a low cost marketing tool. That I'm not saying, hey, let's go make a Facebook post out of this, or let's you know write a press release about it, but like it's a, like, it's so minimal and frictionless. And it just goes such a long way that like, you know, Hey, let's do this nice thing for people. And I think that's one thing too, you know, from a, a marketing PR sales perspective, is like do nice things for people. Like yeah. people, you know, people want to, people want to be treated well. And like, if you do nice things for people, especially like their kids or their loved ones or whatever, like that just, it costs you nothing. You know yeah. whatever product or whatever ticket, whatever you know like it just goes so far,
1: yeah, I mean it then it it uh, what is it it sort of represents your ethos, and then that's something that you' that people like about it. when people feel like they can connect with you, then they they're going to like your brand right so what's your what sort of skills do you think that one should be cultivating if they're particularly either whether they're marketing for the arts or they're looking to market their own arts stuff? What what sort of where do you spend your time you know because if you you've got a full-time job and you're producing an art show but you do need to promote it and you can't afford a marketing person like where do they start like what what would you focus on if you could spend you know just say 10 hours a week on on the marketing of it
0: I mean that if you asked me that question like five years ago 10 years ago I'd give you a completely different answer I'd say right now I mean I guess it depends what age range you are but like really learn how to use your phone (laughs) like learn how to make beautiful content and beautiful to me doesn't mean like it has to be operatic or cinematic or whatever but like going back to like the the brand thing like what 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 do you stand for what is your brand how do you message that how do you get that across because like you have you have these platforms the two platforms right now, like Instagram and TikTok. Instagram Reels is the TikTok competitor. They're bonusing views essentially into the algorithm based on you using Instagram Reels. Like, you know, we've done a lot of tests and like the same video gets you know 10 times the amount of views when we use it as a reel. So really like, I think it's learning how to make content. It's super easy. I mean, and that's not to like, you know dismiss it to say like oh there there aren't good content creators out there like you and I can do it but like it is like it's it's super easy it's low friction it's low maintenance there's a lot of tools out there that you can use so get yourself a phone get yourself a Canva account or get yourself a bunch of cool apps that you download and pay you know 15 bucks a month for the the extra subscription to get the cool things grab yourself premiumbeat.com subscription so you can get some cool music that's not in copyright violation or you know what don't even do that and just run it through instagram and tiktok and you know take one of the trending songs if you're if you're looking to be scrappy in that sense like yeah like invest in in phone photoshop canva any sort of content creation tools that you can if you're not in that demo and not that willing to to get into that stuff then talk to people and 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 be figure out like how other people can promote you you know is it a do they have a newsletter and then what do you offer in exchange for value like do they have a newsletter do they have a Twitter account will they hang up your flyer you know at the local coffee shop things like that you're gonna have to just ask a lot of questions get out there and expect people to tell you no and that's okay
1: and canva is great, by the way. we use that often, and it's just a great, easy i mean compared to like Photoshop and everything like that, it's just amazingly quick to work on. That's a good platform for beginners i think
0: I spent my uh my pre or not pre my quarantine pandemic uh challenges I taught myself after effects that's a that's a whole nother one um but there's a off off the shelf product called Motion Array where you can take templates and build off of it. So if you're willing to go down that rabbit hole, I would highly recommend After Motion Effects Array. and Motion Array. Motion Array. Um, Motion Array. They, yeah, mm. they make some pretty good like 3D After Effects templates that you can easily customize, and it, it looks pretty good.
1: That's nice. That's cool. Like you said, there's more yeah. stuff coming out all the time um, about that makes it easily accessible to people who are novices in the in the world i think right
0: yeah i mean just invest the time i i think that's the biggest thing is just invest the time don't you know just test a lot and don't be afraid to like put stuff out there and like some stuff's <laughs> gonna suck and some stuff's gonna be great Or some stuff that you're like i spent three weeks working on this what do you think and then like it gets no views well guess what yeah you're like keep keep throwing yeah. stuff up against the wall something's gonna stick
1: that's life. Huh? <laughs> I'm yeah. jealous about the whole TikTok thing because it's banned in Hong Kong. Sorry, I'm, I'm know, largely I ignorant know. about that. Although I'm in Macau right now, I wonder if it's banned here. I could take a look. Um, it is. It I feel is like such I'm missing. a weird
0: world. It is just the weirdest. Like there is like there's like a a theme for everything. Like you know, cooking great. Like Taco Bell hacks great. Like dancers <laughs> who do this thing great. You know, like you're just like what. Like I had no idea any of this existed.
1: <laughs> That's amazing. So, uh we ask all of our guests and I think you've also you've already answered this question a little bit in the beginning, but I'll, I'll ask it again in case there's anything you want to add. What's what's your favorite thing about your job, your role, and then what you do?
0: Yeah, for sure. I'm going to go back to just the the emotional outcome. You know, and and it's why, you know, <laughs> I I joke you know we're we're sadists working in the entertainment industry it is a tough it is a tough industry it's not for the faint of heart people are crazy deadlines are insane budgets are nuts you got to deal with people you got to deal with creatives but like man i love the output i love making people you know i'm not the one who's performing but like i love you know just making experiences for people it's just amazing and and like when you tell people like oh yeah i worked on this show or i did this like oh my god i went there with so and so like there's always a story as opposed to being like i sell deodorant and everyone's like oh okay okay cool i've never heard of that (laughs) brand tell tell me more and like uh i really don't want to
1: (laughs) amazing and if you could change one thing about the industry or your job what would it be
0: that's a tough question i mean job wise i love my job I love the the company. I've got an awesome team that I work with. Um, I'm part of the executive team, and our, our executive team just are awesome, crazy people who just are who invent cool stuff and have great background. Industry wise, I think you know my biggest thing is from an entertainment industry perspective. I would love for marketing, and this is something I've advocated for my you know throughout my career, but marketing to have more of a, a seat at the table from the very beginning. I think, you know, there's this mindset that like we are the creators and we create the team or does the, the show and or the product. And then we hand it over to marketing and marketing just takes this pretty box and or, or takes this box and makes it pretty and sells. And it's like, well, actually like we're responsible for more than that. And, you know, there's a lot of insights that we can, you know, glean and, and give to the creators that could help dictate the show or make the show better and, or to, to think about, okay, like you gave me this product, but like perfect example, like LaPearl, actually a lot of the shows I've worked on, the names of the shows have been decided before any research was tested or any design elements. And like LaPearl is a great one where they designed the logo, you know, before I came on board and the way the logo is written um, if you guys google it like you can't fit it on anything without reducing the logo substantially because there's a huge l and a huge p that go off of things and it's like well did you did you think about that when you designed it like what does it look like on a business card what does it look like on a billboard what does it look like you know across these things and so like it just it made for a lot of clunky executions along the way and everyone's like no we're sticking with it it's good so i think it's it's okay to be like, Hey, this is what we want to do. But, you know, have marketing's input to be like, okay, well here's the execution. Or uh, another example, a, I can't name the show, but there was a a certain search show that I worked on where the name was decided before and they didn't check the trademark. They didn't check, you know, any of the IP related stuff. They didn't check, Hey, like on a Google search, like how are we going to, you know, if we're going to be spending money on a, a Google ad campaign, How much money you know what are we going to compare against and this would compare against like a popular rock band or this could would compare against this type of expression and this thing and you're just like okay well you made our job harder because we have to go out and spend more money now because we have to compete against this thing and so you know i i think it's uh for all those producers and creators listening out there is think about the person that has to bring in the, the tickets for you um and fill the audience for you because you're making their job harder or, you know, help, you know, have them help you make everyone's job easier.
1: Oh, it's such a valid point, isn't it? Because now having dug through with theater at life and knowing, you know, analytics and SEO and all of these things, those things just just count so much for visibility and 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 yeah, when you're battling something that's that's already a popular nomenclature on the internet, then you're not gonna win. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean and <laughs> you know, I talked a lot about Instagram. I talked a lot about TikTok, but Google, I mean, Google's everything. Google is the internet. And and I think people don't think about that thing, but like, you know, if you're an arts marketer and, and you're looking, you know, make sure you drive people to your website, obviously, but like spend money on Google, you know, on, on search and, and invest, you know, in, in, you know, some SEO as well, because like there are ways that people are going to discover your brand without you even thinking about it. Things to do, you know, art museums, ballet shows, like whatever it may be like, okay, you know what? You put up $5, $50, $500, whatever budget you have, you know, against small things like that. Like those actually lead to a lot of discovery. And like, that's the thing, like your website is a giant fishing net. So you drive people to your website. As long as you get them there, Fine. Like, if they don't do anything, great. But you know what? They've hit there. You've got that pixel. You know, maybe they signed up for a newsletter or whatever it is. Like, you capture that piece of data and then you can go out and fish again and you can talk to those people or you can build lookalike audiences off of those people. So, I, I think Google is a, definitely one where people don't think a lot about it.
1: Yeah, when I mean when I learnt about like Google Search Console and, and you really understand what people are pressing into Google and how they oh, yeah. arrive at your site. And 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 some of our regular hits are coming from people who are literally Googling the same sentence, you know, over from all over the world, you know. One of the ones yeah. that is quite regular on our site that hits on an article we have is how has technology changed theatre? You know how how many people (laughs) type that into Google every every month? It's incredible. So you like, you really learn. I mean, the problem is you can't, it's hard to manufacture what people are Googling until you see what is, what's the kind yeah. of term that it, you know it but it, it's it, more after the fact but it does show you a lot of like what people might be putting in there in the in the computer as a search thing
0: yeah there there's there's stories like that that you're just like oh my god this is pure gold we have to mine it and then there's other stuff there's like why, why are all these people from Brazil looking for this thing? And it turns out like, oh, this politician said this thing. That's like, and you're like, oh crap. Like we can't do, we can't deal with this. This can't be us. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a science. It is it like anything, like you just have to invest the time and, and, you know, just discover it. I, I think that's the biggest thing. And, and for me, you know, personally, like the past two years have really taught me, how to sharpen my skill set where I've worked in you know larger corporations or bigger teams, and like oh yeah someone else could can do that or whatever, and it's more like no you know what I'm going to learn these things myself. I'm gonna, I, I want to understand how they tick so that I can go out and hire the people to go and do that, but I also can lead you know through doing that and and point to be like okay this is how you pull that lever and that lever. This is how I want the search campaign to be run or or whatever. But yeah I think. You know, if you're a producer and entrepreneur, you know going into these things like, you know, you don't have to be an expert, but like invest the time in, in in these platforms and understand, so that when you go out and hire the experts, you can be like, this is exactly what I want. Go do it, and they're like, cool. They'll they'll respect that so much more.
1: Mm. that's amazing Andy thank you so much for your time today I think uh, people are going to really find this uh, podcast interesting because we have a lot of theater followers who probably are not experts in marketing so thank you so much for your time I appreciate it
0: no problem thanks for having me
1: theater at life is a global media site for entertainment memberships start at only 38 us dollars per year